do you ever, do you want to slow down or do you want to speed up during this time of year? You want to slow down. Uh, this time of year, everything speeds up. Everything is fast paced. Everything is crazy. Everything is chaotic. You look at every store around. I don't want to go shopping right now at all. Stores are packed with people that have no sense of manner or patience right now, all because it's colder out, it's uh, busier right now, and everybody's trying to finalize all of their Christmas plans and all of their parties and, and, and you name it. And I just want to slow down. I, I want to take in this season. I want to take in what this season is all about. I, I want to take in every season and every day, but this especially is a time of year where slowing down is a desire so deep within us that we rarely ever grab a hold of. And, and Paul, Paul speaks to the busyness. Paul speaks to the busyness and the craziness of life. And, and, and really, um, I have a verse that I want to share with you that really speaks to the chaos of life right now. It's in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.13 says this. You were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The line that says freedom to indulge the flesh. Are we free to indulge the flesh? No, 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 we're not. I mean, Christ did set us free, but it's not to indulge the flesh. It's not to be about human uh, effort and human selfishness and human desire. That's not what we're meant to be about. And I feel like the craziness of the season is all to indulge the flesh, isn't it? People are going chaotically and fast-paced and all over the place all to, ind uh, to indulge in themselves. They're selfish for their own wants, selfish for their own desires. I want to buy this, and I want to have that, and I want to experience this pageantry, and I want to experience this piece of, of the Christmas lighting and the, the contest and the parade and, and, and the snow and the vacation time and, and the holiday. I want to experience it all. And it's to indulge in this flesh desire. But he says, don't indulge in the flesh. But he says, to serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is, is fulfilled in keeping this command, right? To love your neighbor. The reason why I'm bringing up O Holy Night, there's a line in this, O Holy Night, that says, um, you can go to the next one. His law is love and his gospel is peace. The law is love. Well, if you think of the law, it's the word of God. It's, it's what he says. It's what he desires. It's what he wants. It's, it's his word. And his word is love. Now, the, the, the whole purpose of this is, well, love, well, who am I supposed to love? Well, wait, time out. Is, is love a, a, it's got to be a new word. It's got to be, I'm guessing it's a new word, Right? I mean, we live in a pretty broken world, messed up world, difficult world, full of hatred and, and discord and um, chaos and abuse and hatred and just so many things, right? Would you say that our world is full of love? Would you say our world is about love? No, I would, I would say it's the exact opposite but love is what we need desperately in our world right now, and not just for the season, but all the time. But his law is love, right? 
And does it say, law is love for myself? No, it doesn't say that. But we get in our heads that that's what it must say. That's what it must be about is it must be about me. Me, 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 me. I've got to be about me. I got to love myself. Like that's the motto is love myself. And yes, it's a good idea to take care of yourself. And yes, it's, a, it's good to rest. And yes, it's, it's good to speak life into yourself. Yes, those are important things. But God is the one who truly brings life into you. God is the one who provides love. God is the one, without God, there is no concept of love. And this law is love is, is what he is speaking about is for other people. To love your neighbor to be about other people, to not be about yourself. And so that's what the focus of this morning is, this whole law of love. What is it about? How do we focus this? How do we do this? How, If we're called to be about loving other people, to love thy neighbor, which Galatians says, how do I do that? How do I put myself aside and to love other people? How do I do that? So we're going to talk about a story, talk through a story that's going to give us the answers to this. And it's in um, Luke, Luke chapter 10. We're going to hang out in Luke chapter 10 for the rest of the morning, and I want to focus on this, this idea of, of love, because love, loving our neighbor is the second greatest commandment that God gave us, isn't it? What's the first? The first is to love God with, with everything I have, mind, body, soul, spirit, every part of me. That, that's the first greatest commandment that Jesus gave. And the second one, he says, is to love others as you would want to be loved, as you would want to be treated, as you want to be cared for, you should love other people that way. You should love your neighbor. And so this is a massive deal, and I, I think that we lose sight of this, and I think we would slow down, and I think we would actually embrace freedom a whole lot more if we chose to love God with everything and to love other people as, as we would want to be loved. I think we'd find true freedom in this, and I hope that we do in this, this Christmas time. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, and Verse 25, this story is phenomenal. I love this story. So here, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. An expert in the law. So this person considers themselves an expert. This person consider, considers themselves not just in, in the word of God and the study of God and the religion. No, he is an expert in the law. So essentially, you could say he's like a lawyer. He knows the law front and back, and, and he stands up. Would you want to stand up in the moment and possibly test the Son of God with something that he wrote, that he spoke into existence? I mean, that's pretty cocky of him, right? That's pretty prideful of him. That's arrogant. Like, this dude walks up thinking he is the most uh, important, knowledgeable human being on the face of the planet as he steps into this situation. Like, Jesus, I got something for you. I'm going to take you down in a roundabout way. Or if I don't take you down, then you're going to uh, help me understand and become better of a human being and, and smarter and more knowledgeable. I'm going to get more head knowledge. So he stands up and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit. Where do we know the word inherit from? That, that must mean he's specifically talking about family, right? He's talking about lineage. He's talking about like, who do I have to, what family do I need to be a part of? The Jewish family, if it's uh, another family, who do I need to be involved with to have life, eternal life? It's all about bloodline, marriage line, family line. 
He goes on. I love this. What does Jesus do? He answers it with a question, doesn't he? I think this is genius. He's not trying to play like reverse psychology on this guy. He's not trying to avoid the question in any way. He knows that this dude is trying to trap him, that it's all a test, and it's not meant um, to be uh, of an actual good conversation of learning and growing from Jesus Christ. But no, he knows this man is just trying to mess with him. And he answers it with a question, and he says, what's written in the law? You call yourself an expert. You call yourself knowledgeable in this law. So what does it say? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He actually takes two different scriptures and combines them into one. That's what he does because he's an expert. He knows the law front and back, so he combines the two together, and he has the right answer. He does, and then it goes on. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I, I love what Jesus says in verse 28 right there. He doesn't go into depth. He doesn't prod. He doesn't push. That's, in, that's strategic. That's a point. Jesus knows what's going to happen next. He knows that this guy does not actually care about what he is saying. This guy is just trying to trap him and test him and not really take it into his heart. He's saying, you know what? I, I can't wait to, to see what he says next. So I'm just going to give him the short answer, do this and you will live. Well, do this. So you're telling me that I just need to love people. Nailed it. Perfect. This is this guy's thinking. You ever watch the show Nailed It on Netflix? Worst show in the world. I'm sorry. It's bad. Like you have these bakers who think that they're really talented in a way or they some sort of skill and they're brought onto the show to do like baking challenges and they're the worst baking um concepts ever create their creativity is bad like melted just blobs and what's crazy to me is that they're given the complete instruction manual on how to bake the perfect creation they're given all the tools that they need all the ingredients all the pans everything that they possibly need to make it as simple as possible and they still cannot do it but they think they've nailed it and this guy thinks that and he's so far from the truth because in his mind, he's like, well, okay, I'm supposed to love. That's it. Well, that is, is loving people unique in, in belief? It's actually not that unique. All world religions, for the most part, most world religions speak on loving people. Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, um, everybody all speak on the concept of loving people. That's not a unique concept, but there is something unique that happens next that Jesus expands on this concept of love. He grows this concept of love, and that is where I really want us to talk about because this is what happens in verse 29. Look at 29. Uh, next, please. Sorry, I jumped. But he wanted to justify himself. We're so good at that. We're, we're great at doing something and then trying to figure out how do we get out of jail with a free card, in a way. Like, how do I get out of it? I can justify my actions. I can justify what I do and justify what I say and justify how I act and what I spend my money on. I can justify it like crazy. And he does this. And really what Jesus does, um, actually, show, show it next. 
No, sorry, go back up to 29. I know, I'm jumping around. And Jesus uh, says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He exposes the human heart, doesn't he? Well, we put our neighbors in boxes. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I just thought about that for a second. That just got creepy. Um, I mean, yeah, figgy pudding over here and Santa Claus peeping on people and putting neighbors in boxes. But from, from the moment you're born, we've grown up with this idea of putting labels upon people, putting them in boxes. Your parents did it. All of our parents did it. They, they essentially told you who you can hang out with. They told you where you're going to go to school, what you're going to pretty much wear, and, and what you're going to eat, and, and how you're going to be. But with people, they did that growing up. They told me where I was gonna, who I was going to hang out with in school for the most part. And then when you get into like high school, and it's not as much like this uh, anymore, but it used to be very, very segregated into boxes, right? It used to be. Because you did have like the athletic jocks, and then you had the, the preppy smart kids. Like you still have those, those groups and those boxes, but now you so much more expanded into like gamers, and I would call them pale kids because they never get enough sunlight, uh, and their thumbs are massively ginormous with like veins popping out because that's all they do. They got the strongest thumbs in the world, man. Thumb wrestling with those people, you're not going to win. Take them out in the sun, they'll melt. <laughs> That's what you do. Thumb wrestling out in the sun. I don't know where I'm going with that. But we put people in boxes in high school. You do that. And, and you have like emos and you skaters and stoners. And you have all these different boxes, all these different groups. But we do it as adults too. We put people in boxes. I would say the biggest box that we have in America is an ethnicity box. And, and, and you can see it all the time in, in the way that we say, you know what? These people look like this, so we'll put them over in there in that box. And these people look like this, and we'll put them in that box. And these people, uh, they sound like that, and their language is that, so we'll put them over this in this box. And this is what they eat, so we'll put them in that box. And, and we decide, we pick and choose and say, okay, which box am I going to recite in? Which box am I going to be a part of? We compartmentalize. We don't just put people together. We, we put them in boxes. And, and am I called to love those people? don't look like me or act like me or dress like me or sound like me. And then not only the ethnicity box, dollar box, you got that box. And it's, we look at our own financial wealth as the measuring stick of where we put people in boxes. You know, if these people make more than me, so they're in this box and these people make less than me, so I'll put them in that box. And then, you know what? We have a box for the needy people, the one who, who we think are going to be a leech upon us and, and and ask for much, and desire much, and so they're in this box, in the dollar box. And then you have like the threatening box. I, I would call it like the spiky box. The spiky, the, the, the ones that, that threaten you, or you feel threatened by them, the ones that scare you, the ones that are, are um, intense, enemies, right? Like that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real box. And then you also have the religious box, my beliefs are like that, that person over there, so I'll be in the box with that person. And they do, they do not believe in the same thing as I do, so I'm going to put them over here in that box, and I'm not going to go near that box. We do that. We put them in boxes related on what they think about abortion, 
how they read the Bible on abortion, how they read the Bible on suicide, how they read the Bible on LGBTQ, how they read the Bible on politics. We put people in boxes based on those heavy topics. Those are the beliefs that our world, our country, is focusing on all of the time. And they're more in the religious box than, than, the, um, than the, the factual box. It's more on what we believe the Bible says. You know, they don't read the whole Bible, so they're in that box. And they're of another religion, actually. That's just, I cannot be friends with dot, dot, dot. Put the, put the religion in there. Islamic, Mormon, Catholic, even Christians. You might not want to be in the box with other Christians. There's times I'm like, I don't want to be associated with those people. Those people are jerks. I can't, no. They, they are far from loving. And then you got the difficult box, the last box of all. And you know them, the difficult people. And if you don't know them, you are them. You are the difficult one. That's just the fact. The ones that are annoying, the ones that are struggle, the ones that are hard to love. Like we put all of these people in boxes. And, and Jesus, in a way, here's what Jesus is trying to get to and why he's been short up to this point. Because he's waiting for this man to say, okay, love, love, yes. But how far does that extend? Where does it go? Where do I take it from here? And Jesus is wanting to tell this man, by the way, if you were going to follow me, if you're going to be a child of God, it extends farther than you ever want to know. Who is your neighbor? Essentially, it's everyone. You can't compartmentalize. You can't put people into boxes and you can't do that. And he tells this man all of this through a story. I love it. He treats this guy like a little kid, this expert, grown adult, who saw himself as, as an influential person in the community all of a sudden, Jesus is like, you know nothing. I'm going to teach you like a child. I'm going to teach you like a child. And he says this in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Um, where am I? They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Isn't that interesting? He starts with the people that expert in the law would have been associated with. Starts with his friends. The people that would be in that man's box, he starts with those people. And uh, by the way, scholars talk about this road a lot. This, when they say the other side, it doesn't actually mean like another road in another, like a distance away. That's not actually true. What it was, it was a very skinny, small, narrow road. For the most part, these two men didn't have a chance to go to another place in a distance. They most likely had to go all the way to the edge of the road and inch their way around this man and avoid looking at him. It took effort to not look at this man that was beat up and in pain and left half dead. And a religion box. These men had the religion box. And I love it too because the religion box that these two men are in are a lot like the Christian church that I've sadly experienced now. In their minds, they were like, wait, policies and procedures say that these are the people that I help that are in pain. Seriously? 
I was associated with a, I was at a church once, worked at a church once, that they told me at a staff meeting, they told all of us in a staff meeting once, and I'm not bashing, this is a great church. Few, every church has their own problems. And they said, by the way, our food pantry is only gonna be open um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays from like 8 a.m. to 10. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, what if somebody shows up that is really starving and hungry on a Wednesday night when I'm here for youth? Or what if they show up on a Friday at one o'clock? Or even if they showed up on a Monday or a Thursday in the afternoon, what are we supposed to do? Well, tell them to come back on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Seriously? So you're telling me I should go to tell a person, by the way, you don't fit in the box that we have. You've got to wait another day to so starve it out. Seriously? I was like, can we just pack some sack lunches to have in the office? Or, and, and you know what I did? I actually took my church card and I bought a bunch of gift cards to like Fry's and Safeway and stuff. And that's what I gave when they came in. Here you go. And then I was told you can't buy uh, gift cards if you're a nonprofit because they like you'll be audited, which is the stupidest thing in the world. I can't love somebody with a gift card or I'll be audited. Like we do, and that's what these men were doing. They put it into their policies and procedures and said, we cannot love this man because it doesn't fit and it'll keep us from doing our duty in these, these uh, congregations and temples and and synagogues. We can't do that because you know what? We unclean and we'll have to hold out for seven days. Boo-hoo, you get a seven-day break. <laughs> but, but that's what these men were doing. And then he does something mind-blowing to this culture. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, boom, guaranteed an old person fainted. Guaranteed. Samaritan, who would be like one of the most hated groups of people to the American culture? Who'd you think? I actually don't. Nazis. Okay. Like somebody that's part of the jihad, maybe, terrorist group, organization. But, but, but take whoever was a despised person in our culture that was a Samaritan to this culture. He took the hated and made the hero. That's what he did. The, the, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They weren't full Jewish. And on top of that, they didn't, they didn't recognize Jerusalem as the place to worship, as well as they didn't see the whole Bible as truth. They only took certain books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, and said, that's all there is. And you know what? All the prophets, none of their words are true. That's what these Samaritans did. So Jews hated Samaritans, and Jesus throws the Samaritan in as the hero, and he says this Samaritan came to the, where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Pity. Compassion. He has compassion. Another translation says compassion. That is, is the most important thing to recognize and shows that love should really look like this, shouldn't it? Compassion. You know what compassion is? It's to, to uh, put into action. The pain that you see, the pain that you experience, it is being wrenched inside of yourself to where you can't do anything but act. That's what compassion is. He says this is what is required. 
You want the law of love? You want to be, um, you want to love God with everything and you want to love others and, and love your neighbor? You need to have compassion. It's a requirement of a child of God. You want to follow God? That's what's required. You want to follow God? That's what's required. And it actually is very freeing when you have compassion upon people. And how do I do that? How, what is required for me? And this is where Jesus really takes a turn and says, okay, you know what? You want to ask the question, who you're, who's my neighbor? Well, I'm telling you who your neighbor is, and this is how you are supposed to act towards your neighbor. This is what's required. You know what the first one is? The first one, and the Samaritan did it. Go back, please. Samaritan did it. When he observed pain, he acted. He had compassion. Do we act when we see pain? Do we act? Do we, do we go? Like Jesus, he came into the world, like the, the O Holy Night says, um, when sin and error was pining away and, and when we were full of sin, Jesus came and said, you know, I'm going to have compassion. I see you and I, I see your brokenness and I desire to not put you in a box, but I desire to heal you. Compassion. Um, when you look at the fruits of the Spirit, as well as the definition of love in the Bible, it doesn't use the word compassion, but all of the words actually combine to be compassionate. Gentleness, kindness, those are compassionate traits. If you want to know who has the Holy Spirit, they're the ones who are compassionate. And compassion doesn't pick and choose who they uh, act towards. They don't. No, no, no. Anytime pain is seen, we should act to compassion. And then this man goes farther in verse 34. He went down, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Would you put a bleeding dude in your car? Would you put somebody that's homeless in your car? Somebody you don't know in your car? Somebody you came across in your car? Depends on the car, maybe. Depends on the vehicle. Sadly, that, that's how we think. This guy put this man who was half dead on his own donkey. That means that he didn't outsource the love. We outsource the love a lot of the time in our culture. We're like, you know what? I'm going to give to this organization because they're doing great and it makes me feel good. And I will find you help. That's what I'll do. But for me to put you on my own donkey in my own car, no, I can't do that. And what I'm saying is that every opportunity should not be seen as an inconvenience. We see it as an inconvenience a lot of the time. If I am supposed to move my schedule around, I'm busy. This holiday season is nuts, and I have to change my calendar, my day, to help somebody else that is in need? I mean, guaranteed this Samaritan had a plan. He had a schedule to keep and a calendar that he was stuck to, and he had places to go and, and people to meet and all this stuff, but he stops, and he takes care of this man. He makes a detour to take him to an inn. That is super valuable. Like the other day, I was thinking about people as being an inconvenience. The other day, I was having coffee with a friend, and, and, and I remember he asked me, he said, what have I learned from my last church experience? What have I taken away? And I really thought about that for a second, and I, I said that people are the priority. I'm tired of policies I'm tired of procedures, and I'm tired of schedule, and I'm tired of projects being the priority over people. 
tired of it. People are not an inconvenience. Somebody texted me the other day that's part of our church that she was sick and I was supposed to uh, hang out and have coffee with her and talk. And, and, and I remember she, she texted and said, I hope that I'm not keeping you from our conversation about the future of the church. And I'm like, it is completely okay. You are sick. That can, that can wait. Who cares about that stuff? If a building comes before a person, forget the building. I will sell the building. I will give it all up if that means that that goes before the person. I'm so tired of my schedule. I, and I get into those modes all the time. I'm like, I'll tell Liz, you know, I, I had this to do and 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 this to do. And great, somebody called me and they needed to talk. And I spent four hours with them. And in my human nature, I'm like, ah, my schedule did not get completed. But I have to remember what is more important, the person or the project. The minute we turn people into projects, that is a dangerous ground and a place to be in, and I never want to do that. And I hope that we don't do that. If we miss out on Christmas morning for a person, great. Now, there's, there, there are those people that are, are leeches and will <laughs> soak up all of your time, and you have to have some... Um, some hard conversations and discernment, 100%. I agree with that. But most of the time, it's actually not those people. It's somebody that, that took a chance and called you or texted you or emailed you or whatever it was, and they needed you in that moment, and they didn't know how to say it or talk about it, but they just needed you. And we usually push those people aside too. And those people matter and that's the part of the law of love. If we love God, if we have his Holy Spirit, we are going to be compassionate and we are not going to see people as an inconvenience. Which goes into the third, uh, third thing. Verse 35. Next day, he took out two denarii. That's two days wages, okay? Two days wages, big deal. Gave them to the innkeeper, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This dude, he wrote a blank check. He said, I'll pay for it, which is really the law of love. We have to recognize that care is more important than the cost. Care is more important than the cost. If it doesn't cost me anything, is it truly love? That's a question to wrestle with. For it to be truly love, it should cost me something. And I'm not necessarily financially. It's not always financially. It could be time. It could just be mental capacity. It could just, it could be some sort of like possession or, or you know what, you need to use my car for 30 minutes because you have a doctor's appointment and you can't afford to get to that doctor's appointment. And I don't have a mode of transportation. It should cost me something all of the time. William Barclay, there was a Scottish author. He said this, if uh, love is true, there must always be a certain extravagance in it. It does not nicely calculate the loss or more, or less or more. It's not concerned to see how little it can give. If it gave all it had, the gift would still be too little. Here's the best part. There's a recklessness in love which refuses to count the cost. There's a recklessness in love that refuses to count the cost. This priest and this Levite, they believed in ROI. You know what ROI stands for? Return on investment, Right? We get that mindset of return on investment in our heads. Is this a good investment for me? Levi and priest, they're like, no, no, no. 
This investment is not going to work out because I'm going to be kept for my duties at some synagogue, guaranteed. I'm going to have to be um, put aside for about a week or so, considered unclean. That was their mindset. It was not worth the risk in their minds. And I think that we sometimes get into that place and we say, you know what? Return on investment. Is this person going to pay me back? Is this person going to finally get right and, and, and be better so that they can stop calling me? That's the investment that they give me my time back. I'm so glad God did not do that. I'm so, God, I'm so glad God wasn't like, huh, ROI on humanity down there. That investment looks shady. <laughs> it looks sketchy. I don't know. They're going to sin a lot. Some of them are going to come to know me and follow my son, Jesus Christ. What's that investment going to be like? How many are going to become my children? How many of them are going to be followers of me? How many of them are going to really accept my Holy Spirit in their life and live fully sold out and serve me? So thankful God did not do that. He put the cost aside and said it's worth it. It is so worth it. And then it goes on. He showed mercy. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The man said, the one who showed mercy. You love that he couldn't even say Samaritan. He couldn't even say the name of, of, of who this person was. He's, he's just like, um, that guy over there, the one who showed mercy. Here's what's interesting. Through that, this whole story, you notice how everybody's ethnicity and profession is named? Everybody's, except who? the man that was half dead. I think that's strategic because if he put a, a ethnicity or a profession or anything upon this man, then I think this expert and everybody that was listening, and even us, we would say, well, then that must be my neighbor, that person. We would still, we would go back into that box mentality. But Jesus is like, no, I'm not gonna tell you who this man was so that you realize that the human box is the only box that you should reside in. The human box is the only box that you should be about. You want to know who your neighbor is? It's everyone, anyone in need. That is who your neighbor is. I mean, 1 John 4 says this. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Truly, he taught us to love one another. So that's the challenge. Ask God, God, who's in my life right now that needs compassion? Who do you have me walking by that needs me to stop and care for them? Regardless of the cost, financial, time, you, whatever it is, regardless of the inconvenience, by the way, if I come in here one morning and I do not have a sermon written, it'll be because of people. Okay, it's not just laziness, it's people. For people. But please, count the, really say, God, God, who is it that needs me right now? Because the season's hard for a lot of people. And let me add this last part. I mentioned that we are the ones who are walking by the person in pain. What if we are the person in pain? Because we could be that person. We could be the one feeling beaten up and robbed and left for dead. First of all, I would say that I'm so thankful that we have a Lord and Savior that is with us, that is willing to stop and put donkey and care for us. But God also put people in our lives too. And this is what I would say to this. Please stop being prideful. 
Stop being prideful. Because a lot of the times when we're in pain, we get dressed up and we act the part and we look good and we look like we have it all together. And I am clueless on hints. Most of us, like Liz will tell you, I do not pick up when she would, um, when she was hit, by the way, she hit on me, just to let you know that. When she was hitting on me, I was clueless on picking up her hints absolutely clueless. If you are in pain, if you don't say it, I am going to be clueless. And a lot of the times when we're in pain, we assume people know and they do not because we don't allow ourselves to be exposed. This man, you clearly knew he was half dead. This man, you knew he was in pain. He was, there was a visible um, sign that he was that way. And if we ever want the our community to know and come around and rally around you when you are in pain, you have to tell us, please. A lot of people leave the church because they're like, I was in pain and these people never knew and they never talked to me and they never called me and they never helped me. Well, did you let them know? Did they even see it? Well, no, I put on a good face. I told them I was doing great all the time. Duh, then of course they're not gonna help you out. And really, it's our pride that gets the best of us. And we've got to humble ourselves to say, you know what? There's people that do care about me, people that love me, and I just have to suck it up and let them know how I am doing. And when you do that, guaranteed all of us, we will rally around you and help you with everything we have, regardless of the cost and the time. Whatever it is, we will be compassionate to what you need. So you got to tell us, please, that's the challenge. If you're the one in pain, speak up. If you're the one who's walking by, pay attention to who is in pain and have compassion. Let me pray. God, I pray we do that. I pray that we really seek to be compassionate towards people, not just this season, but every season, every day, every week, every month, every year. I pray, give us a heart to be moved with compassion. Help us to have the heart to not be inconvenienced or to care about the inconvenience that comes our way. Help us not to consider the cost. And if there is a cost, and if, um, if it's a big cost, I pray that you provide that. Give us the extra time. Give us the strength. Give us the mental capacity. Give us the, the financial ability and, and the possession ability to help people regardless of what it is. Show us who those people are that need us. Help us to be that Samaritan that stops and takes care rather than just pass by. And if we're in pain, God, if there are any of us that are in pain, I pray, first of all, that we go to you and we seek your help, your direction, your healing, your power, as well as help us to talk to people and let it be known. Help us to seek people that can help us out, whatever it may be. We all need friends. We all need companions. We all need people to hold up our arms and keep us moving and provide strength that comes from you. I pray that you bring people around each and every one of us. We cannot do this alone. God, you're so incredible. And thank you for this time of year. Thank you that you had compassion on us. You saw us and you, you didn't just say uh, you're not worth it, but you said we are worth it and that you have such an amazing plan for us and you love us so much. Your love we cannot fully understand. But the love that you do give us, you've called us to pour out into other people. 
Help us to have the law of love in our hearts for you, Paul, and others second. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.